Father, we just want to thank you for this beautiful time that we have in your presence, Lord. We thank you for standing in the midst of us and we thank you that we can say with certainty that surely the Lord is in this place. Surely the Lord is in this place. We ask that you may have your way for the remainder of this morning. Every moment is dedicated to you, Father. Yes, you're in Amaltaine. Man, you may be seated. Thank you. You guys are awesome. You guys are absolutely awesome. Mm. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I just want to express thanks to Pastor Justin and um, the leadership team of this church for the invitation. It's been a wonderful time hanging out with you guys. And for you and your wife, Anisha, and your son, I just thank you for hosting me in your home. Amen. I felt at home. I had wonderful encounters with the Lord in my prayer time upstairs. And I pray that it's saturated in glory. Amen. Um, so again, thank you for your invitation and those that were able to come out this weekend. I can only hope that you were blessed. Did the best I could. Amen. And if it was not enough, I'll be back. Hopefully we can uh, carry on with our conversation. Amen. It's been a wonderful closure to your week of fasting and praying. It's not really the end of it. It's actually the beginning of, the, of what the Lord will bring about as a result of you pressing in and seeking after God. Those that are today is just your first time you're able to come out, uh, you missed out. So if you can go on the church uh, Facebook page, just watch um, you know, the services that we had from Friday night, uh, maybe yesterday leadership uh, encounter that we had, and then last night. And uh, so we're going to wrap it up this morning. Amen. I have a very specific assignment this morning. Uh, and it's not to teach you anything new. Years ago, I felt free from the pressure to be original. You know, to, to wow you with something you've never heard before. I want to talk about something we commonly do. Something we already know. But something that needs to become our immediate assignment. We may have become too relaxed in our understanding of that. And I want to begin this conversation with my hero in scripture. Outside of Jesus, my main hero in scripture is Moses. Um, and then I love Abraham. I'm crazy about David. But I learned something from Moses that I don't really get from some of these guys. Um, because the, the, the uniqueness of his relationship with God. Of all the men that have ever served God, there was only one man that the Lord declared that I speak to him face to face as a man speaks with a friend. This man had gone beyond being a servant of the Lord. He had entered into the unique space of friendship with God. So what you find out about people that are friends of God is sometimes God shares with them things that have got nothing to do with their time period. It's just God sharing with them. That's why it was revealed to Moses the first conversation of creation when God said, let there be light. He revealed that conversation to Moses. Years after Moses was born, the Lord took him to the garden scene and he allowed him to witness the first man ever created, the first woman ever created. He allowed him to witness the mountains coming up from the surface of the earth, the 
waters and the seas being given their jurisdiction he saw a moment of darkness and out of that moment of darkness he heard the words let there be light and there was light and so he recorded the book of genesis even though it was centuries before he was born because when you're a friend of god the bible says the secret of the lord is with them that fear him the lord took him back into a time that no other man had recorded because they were not there but moses was able to see the beginning and so he wrote bereshit bara elohim at hashemain viet haretz he wrote in the beginning god God created the heavens and the earth. He saw the earth without form and void. My goodness, how, what did this man do to earn that posture, that, that relationship with God? He shares a little bit of his secrets in a very well-known passage of scripture that I hope we can take home with us as we unpack it this morning. Gen- uh, Exodus chapter 33. This is not Moses as a boy. This is Moses as an apachan. Amen. This is Moses as an elderly veteran. That has walked with God for many years. This was not his first crusade. This was not his first rodeo. This was not his first day out. He had been around a while. He had seen a lot of things. So let's see what he says here. In Genesis chapter, rather Exodus chapter 33 from verse 12. A very um, well known passage of scripture. And, the, and, and then Moses said to the Lord. You say to me bring up this people. But you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you've also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, I pray, if I found grace in your sight, show me now your way, that I may know you, and that I may know that I find grace in your sight, and consider that this nation is your people. And the Lord says, my presence will go with you now. In order for you to understand what this conversation, you know, was built on its context, is in the beginning of this chapter, here's what God said to Moses. Let's see if we can turn there. God said to Moses, and the Lord said to Moses, I'm verse 1 of chapter 33. And the Lord said to Moses, depart and go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt. God in this instance kind of sounds like my dad. Whenever we did well as kids, he says, my kids are doing well. Whenever we misbehave, you'll say to my mom, see what your kids are doing? (laughs) So when the children of Israel were doing well, the Lord says, these are my people. But when they're not doing so well, God says to Moses, I want you to send these people that you brought out of Egypt. (laughs) You know? (laughs) He's a a real father. Amen. (laughs) Stotham. I think your father said that this morning and they're feeling nervous. But anyway, let's read on. He says, um, and the Lord says this, take them to the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying to your descendants, I will give it. I will send my angel before you and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, for I will not go up in your midst, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. Now here's what the Lord had said to Moses. The Lord said to Moses, son, I'm about to send you to fulfill the promise I made to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm about to send you to the land that is so beautiful that he calls it the land that flows with milk and honey. And then he says this, I will not go with you, but don't worry, I've made arrangements. I'll let my angel go before you and I can assure you that you will have victory against the Canaanites, against the Hevites, against the Perizzites against the Jebusites. All these were groups of warring nations that knew the art of war. These were nations that knew how to fight. These were nations that had advanced techniques in warfare. And the Lord said to Moses, don't worry about it. Your victory is assured and you will cut out an inheritance 
for the children of Israel in the land that is filled with milk and honey. Now on every level that appears to be a good offer. What is it an offer of? The fulfillment of your destiny. Child, you shall walk in the land I promise your forefathers. Don't even swear it. And the enemy that shall stand before you, I can guarantee I'll give you victory. Except here's what God left out. He says, I won't be in the camp with you. He says, I'll stay outside of the camp. But he says, don't worry. I'll let my angel go before you. Meaning an emissary sent all the way from heaven shall be leading the charge as you go into the land of promise. Now, if Moses was an average Pentecostal, he would have said, thank you, Jesus. David in Ustotram. I have what? Victory? Yes. Over every enemy? Yes. I will possess the land? Yes. A land that flows with milk and honey? Yes. What about those that stand against me? They will be defeated before you. They would have said, Lord, thank you. That is an amazing offer. But you know what Moses said? He says, thanks, but no thanks. What? It's not a good enough offer for me. Why? Because here's what Moses says. If you don't go with us, I beg you, please don't send me. But son, I told you my angel is going, yeah, I don't care. Thanks for the angel, by the way. Angels are always awesome. Awesome. But I didn't get into this to hang out with angels. If you don't go with me, Father, I don't want to go. Mona, did you hear what I said? I heard you the first time. I said, I'll give you victory. I get it. I said, I'll give you the land. I get it. I said, I'll protect you. I get it. I said, I'll give you your inheritance. I get it. But what? Not interested. Why? If you're not there, I don't want it. Here's the secret of the greats. The hidden secret as to why God was attracted to Moses. We're talking about attracting the presence of God in this church. My brother, a lot of people love God for what God can do for them. Yeah, I've noticed in the church in the last 20 years, particularly the church in America, the emphasis was all the things that God does for us. It was the emphasis of our songs. It was the emphasis of our preaching. You watch a good session of TBN or Daystar, everybody's telling you what God will do for you. But the old man Moses was less interested in what God will do for him. He was mainly interested in God himself. So what he said to the Lord was, my Lord, if you're not coming with me, I don't want to go. I'm not interested. He was not a boy. He was an elderly gentleman. Wrinkles on his face. Feet were filled with calluses for having walked in the desert for years. You couldn't lecture him about the miraculous because the Lord wrought mighty miracles by the hands of Moses. He remembers when he lifted up his rod and he shut the sun in Egypt for seven days. And the sun would not shine. Seven days of total darkness because Moses said so. You remember when he took the dust of, e of Egypt and threw it and it became lice and it attacked every Egyptian and it left the children of Israel. You couldn't lecture Moses on the miraculous. You couldn't tell him about how, well, you know, God will bring miracle signs and wonders. He knew miracle signs and wonders more than any man outside of Jesus who's ever walked this earth. Nobody has performed miracles like Moses. What could he tell him about victory? He saw the mightiest army of his day Drown in the Red Sea without him lifting a finger. 
He couldn't lecture him about victory. What could you tell him? Because he could tell you, son, I was an elder man. I couldn't even handle a sword. But I climbed up on Mount Rephidim with nothing but the stick that I took to Egypt. And when I lifted up the rod before the Lord, Joshua won in the valley. And when my hands became heavy, Joshua was defeated. And an old man on a mountain with hands lifted up, I could bring victory into Israel. What can you tell me about the miraculous? What can you lecture me on? He says, I remember the day the Lord told me, tell the children of Israel to take a lamb, a young lamb, into their homes, to keep that lamb for almost 14 days, and after almost two weeks, to kill that lamb, and to take the blood of the lamb and put it on the doorpost of their house, and to eat the lamb, but as they roasted it and ate it with bitter herbs, they did so with their sandals on their feet. Why? Because in less than 24 hours, a 400-year period of enslavement ended with less than 24 hours in, without a battle fought, without any encounter with the enemy, without any loss of life on the side of the, Israel, the children of Israel. What can you tell me about victory? Please lecture me. There's not a single human being alive that can coach Moses on the power of the miraculous. But here's this old man now letting us know the secret to his success the whole time. Is that when he had the option to get angelic help, he opted for God himself. And he said, thanks, but no thanks. If you don't go with me, Father, I ain't going to go worship. But we'll give you a crowd, Al. We'll give you thousands. You can minister to that. I don't care. We'll give you the best band you've ever had. Best sound system ever. And you can become the star. I don't care. Why? If you're not with me, I don't want to do it. Not interested. Why? Because I did not buy into this for the stuff. I bought into this because of you. So if you are not there... I don't want any piece of it. Give it to somebody that wants it. You know, nowadays we got ministers that, that, that if, in order for you to invite them, you have to put them up in a five-star hotel. You have to pick them up with the most expensive limousine. Not just in a five-star hotel, but you've got to rent them the penthouse suite because if they don't get the penthouse, they're not coming to preach in your church. So, you know, superstars in the body of Christ. And some that will hear this will get offended with me for saying that. But I've had ministers that have tried to invite some big names and could not afford them. Because they, I, I want the colors in the hotel room to be this color. I want the person that knocks on the door to knock on the door at exactly 5.30. And then I want them to back away from the door so that they don't contaminate the man of God. We live in the age of Christian celebrities. And most of you will jump across town to go see some hot shots somewhere and not even realize that there's someone sitting next to you who, is, uh, who has no name on earth but who's well known in heaven. Because they have their priorities right. They are in this for God and for God himself. They're not here for fame or for fortune. If God is not in what they do, they want no interest in it. There are a lot of people right now that says if we're the best and the most beautiful building in town, we'll be satisfied even if God is not in there. A number of years ago, I made a statement that I thought was, I said it as a joke. You know what I was saying? I was preaching somewhere and I said, based on the standard of the church in America right now, because we think that super wealth is the most important thing and we think that buildings are the most important thing. I made this as a joke, Al. I said, you know what? If this is true, then the most righteous man in America is Donald Trump because he has the buildings that are bigger than ours and he has more money than us and he flies on a plane. I thought I was joking. I found out I was prophesying. Because the church is enamored by wealthy people that appear to have a lot of stuff. 
We've, been, we, we've had our priorities messed up because somewhere, somehow, is a poor man with calluses on his knees from talking to God. You'll never get five-star treatment in the body of Christ because we've got our priorities all messed up and screwed up. And if I'm talking against your favorite candidate, you don't have to hate me, you don't have to like me, you don't even have to like what I'm saying. Just know that it's true. What is the matter with us? You know what the matter with us is? Messed up priorities. Here's what God said in the book of Isaiah. I wish I knew the scripture. He said, you did what you did. And I didn't do anything. I kept silent. Then you concluded that God was just like us. He says, just because I didn't react, you started to think I think like you. You started to think I prioritize like you prioritize. Our values are not the same. Moses, the old man, understood. I would rather be the poorest man on earth with God on my side than the greatest victor on earth with every major conference locked down and God is not there with me. Don't send me with an angel. You know, if you're not there, that angel to me is as good as a demon. I'm not interested. Why? Because I got into this for the love of you and the love of you alone. A number of years ago, I heard, a, I heard a song that all of you have sung many times. Maybe it's even one of your favorite songs. But when I heard this song, it did not settle well with me. The words were amazing. But something in me just said, ah. Here's how the song went. I believe that you're my healer. I believe that you are all I, and I heard this, and I said, Father, it sounds good, but something deep within me was not buying that. I couldn't buy it. I just, I don't know why. I thought, that, is it because I hate the tune? Is it because what? The tune sounds good. The word sounds good, but it didn't register in my spirit. My soul and my feelings liked it, but the man on the inside said, thanks. No thanks. I didn't know why. And then I did the research and found out by the young man that wrote the song. That, you know, he had this amazing song that he composed. And he wanted the song to go viral. And he felt so tempted to let it go viral that he made up a story as to how that song came to him. He said that he got a cancer diagnosis. And when he got a cancer diagnosis, it was so heartbreaking. He went and he sat by his keyboard and composed the song. And then we found out that story was a complete lie. The man had never been diagnosed of cancer. The man had never been sick of anything, except maybe a little bit obese. He needed to lose a couple pounds, but that was the only thing that was wrong with him. So here's the thing. He sat down and he composed the song and he sold it to the body of Christ. And many of you jumped on that song and didn't, you didn't even vet to see what spirit was operating. It was a spirit of commercialization. Do you know what Sony does to Christian artists, all you that are members of the worship team? If they find out that you're good, they lock you up on a five-year contract. Contract. They say, for the next five years, we want you to produce an album for us. They don't ask you if you're living for God. They don't ask you if you're staying out of temptation. They don't ask you if you're living right. And when was the last time you talked to God? They don't care. All they care about is that you give them the five albums that you're contractually obligated to. So when you're running late on producing an album, you get a phone call from the Sony agent and said, you are in breach of your contract. You better come up with an album now. So you know what happened? People that have not even spent a minute with God sit down and they write Christian songs and these Christian songs go viral in the world of Christendom because we don't vet things based on their wealth. We vet them based on the way they make us feel. Yeah. Am I talking to somebody here? Yeah. Moses says, if you're not in it, Father, I don't want it. It will make me look successful to everybody that thinks, oh, look at that. You know, Felix is real. No, but if you're not in it, my God, keep it. 
Why? Because the only thing I'm attracted in this walk, the only thing that attracts me to this walk is you. It's you and you alone. And you wonder why certain songs never seem to lose their appeal. You know, you, you, know you, 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 you hear the song, when peace like a river attendeth my soul, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Even when that little song, it is well with my soul, is co-opted to another more contemporary, you know, it is well with my soul. It resonates. Do you know why it resonates? Because the man who wrote that had just heard that his family had died. He was waiting for his family to come to where he was. And he got news that they were involved in a shipwreck and they had been destroyed and they had been killed. And instead of sitting there and complaining, he opened up a pen and pad and he began to write a song to the Lord. That even when I'm hit with the worst sorrow a man can ever face, the loss of his family. Because no father is supposed to bury his own child. Your kid's job is to bury you as a parent. But now he says, whatever my Lord, Lord you have taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. What is that? It is born out of the crucible of adversity between a man and his God and when he gave that as a gift to the body of Christ, we've been singing it ever since. Why do you think the song Amazing Grace is so powerful? Because a man that was a slave keeper a man who sold slaves had an encounter with the grace of God and he saw himself for what he was and he wrote Amazing Grace how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost but now I'm found I was blind but now I see. So what happens from generation to generation? Because God is solid in the middle of that conversation. The song resonates. One of my favorite songs is what? Is um, I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. The cross before me. The world behind me. Though none go with me, still I will follow. Where was that song born in India? Why? Because a guy who had just given his life to, to the Lord in a village somewhere, I believe it was in the north, the, the local chief confronted him, denounce this Jesus or we will kill you. And he made that decision. I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, no turning back. And when he said that they killed that man and his death inspired that chief and the entire village to come to Christ. And one of the men that heard the story of that inspiration was inspired to write a song. Though none go with me, still I will follow. Though none go with me, still I will follow. No turning back, no turning back. What am I talking about? I'm talking about things that are qualitative because God is in the center of them. Ah, God, please help me. I'm talking about something that contains a level of glory because the Lord is in the midst of it. What well, you Malayalis love to sing the song, You You don't even understand. That song was not written by a Malayali. That song was written by Vicky Winans. Vicky Winans was in a studio recording and the news came to her that her father, Bishop Winans, had just died. She was, a, she was a daddy's little girl. She loved her father. And so she took pen and pen and she began to write, Jehovah Jireh, my provider, you are more than enough for me. Jehovah Nissi, you are with me. By your grace, I've been set free. Jehovah Shama, you're my healer. He says, you, and you supply all of my needs, you're more than enough. You're more than enough for me. A lady just heard that her dad has died and she penned that song. And then Amali Ali heard it and he said, this is good. So you heard it and you said, why do you get into the zone of the presence of God? It was born out of a crucible of, of, of the worst news you can ever have. 
that your father is no longer there. I got the same news three weeks ago, that your dad is dead. The man that gave you your identity is no longer here. And I had some meetings lined up. And I said, Father, I cannot go back to my own country because of the nation's politics. I don't know. I cried. I screamed out loud as I was driving on the phone with my sister. And I said, I'm not able to bury my own father. And I said, what am I supposed to do? And the Lord said, you keep every appointment that you have because that's what your father would have you do. And so I preached within days of my dad being buried. And I found out something. When you, ah, God, please help me. When God is in the center of what you do, the quality of what you bring goes to a whole nother level. The spirit of Moses was, if you don't go with me, I'm not trying to be a superstar. I don't care about that. I'm not trying to impress anybody. I don't care about that. Lord, if you don't go with me, please don't send me. I don't want to go. I'm not trying to look good in front of people. None of you can get me into heaven. I'm not trying to look good in front of my enemy because the enemy can do nothing for me. Father, if you don't go with me, please don't send me. Which begs the question, what did Moses want above everything? He wanted what in my language, which is Shona, is called Hupano Wamwari. Say that with me. Say Hupano Wamwari. One more time. Say Hupano Wamwari. Do you know what Hupano Wamwari means? It means the presence of God. Moses said, there's nothing I treasure more than God's presence. I treasure it more than victory. I treasured more than answered prayer. I treasured more than my own health. I treasured over my own reputation and my name. The presence of the Lord is the most important thing to me. And like I told you, this was not a boy talking. This was a seasoned old man. Who was letting us know the value that it caused him to be such a great man of God. What therefore is the secret of attracting the presence of God? You already know the secret. But I need to talk to you real, real strong. Because the proximity to the Lord, I have found out. The secret to, go, to, to get, getting close to the Lord, Al, the secret to that is hidden in Psalm 100, which we, which we say a lot of times. What does Psalm 100 say? It says, enter his gates with and into his courts with Okay, you know what the gate is? It was as if the writer of that psalm was speaking about either the tabernacle or the temple. If he was talking about the, ta the tabernacle, the outer gate is what brought you into the courtyard. Amen. Which we called what? The outer court. What did the tabernacle was made of? The outer court, the inner court, or the holy place, and what? The Holy of Holies. And the Holy of Holies was the place of God's dwelling. It was where men met with God. So the writer of the psalm begins to tell us about a certain secret. He said what? Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Meaning what? The journey to where God is. If God was over there, for me to unlock the first layer so I can come closer, my heart has to be filled with thanksgiving. The posture of thanksgiving lets me into the courtyard 
Ah, you guys talk about Psalm 84. You mentioned it. So did you mention what? I'd rather be a gatekeeper in the courts of my God, in the house of my God, than what to dwell in the tents of wickedness. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. This is a cry, my heart and soul cry out. The songwriter says, for you, the only living God, your spirit is water to my soul. I've tasted, I've seen, come on, you know that song, how lovely are your dwelling places, better is one day. So how do I get close? It's Thanksgiving in my heart. What is Thanksgiving built on? Creating an awareness of the things that God has already done for you. Do you know how many people I meet that come to me because they've got prayer requests and I ask them, what has the Lord done for you lately? They don't know because all they know is what they have not yet received. The secret to the heart of God is a heart of thanksgiving. And a heart of thanksgiving means what? I'm aware of the amazingness of who you are. I have not won my victory. I'm still in Egypt. That's fine. But I'll glorify you for who you are, Lord. I am thankful because I'm called your child. Uh, the secret to... Uh, the presence of the Lord is a heart of thanksgiving. The happiest child that any parent has in their home right now is the most grateful one. Are we okay? The happiest in your family amongst your siblings is the one who's most grateful. The one who is most miserable is the one who's not. Which all constantly looks at what you have not done for me. You know, what, you know, Dad, how come you didn't do, you did this for so-and-so, you didn't do this for me. Complain all you want. The happiest child in any family is the most grateful one. The secret to the heart of God is gratitude. Thankfulness is one of the keys that allows you to get closer to God. You are here from Kerala. Huh? From a place where the, the rules on the road change each day. When you're driving, you're like, hey, what are the rules for today? You know, and you came all the way to the United States as an immigrant population. And the Lord has raised you in and around Richardson to be people of means. That parking lot is full of late model minivans. <laughs> you all are doing well. So the question I have is what? How grateful are you? I remember the story of Zion, the story of this church. Because the first time I ever preached for you, Biju, was when? When you were in that school. And we had to end the service early because another group was coming in. And as we were having service, people were just walking that were not members of the church. And the Lord opened his hand and he gave you a building for free. In my language, we'll say for fra. He just gave it to you. Several acres of land. There you go, Monet. There you go. You can have it. And you can sit in this building and complain about what? Ah, well, you know, I don't know. Tell me. Well, you know, because, because what? You should be the most grateful church in Dallas. So what does that mean? That means you should be the church with the presence of God the most. Why? Because the key to God's presence is a thankful heart. Amen. Enter his gates with thanksgiving in your heart. Enter his courts with praise. Stop complaining about silly things. You've got every reason to be grateful. I had this one Malayali kid from Oklahoma. I won't mention his name. And you don't know him, so don't even look at me funny. And he says, you know, Pastor Felix, I wish I wasn't born in a Malayali family. I said, why? Well, they want to control everything I do. I said, oh, so your freedom is what you want, right? You know, you know other people, they have freedom. I said, did you pay for college? No. Who paid? My parents? Okay. Where are you living right now? At home? How old are you? I'm 26. Are you paying rent money? What's that? <laughs> How much do you have saved? About 35 grand. Why? It's a down payment in my own house. I said, okay, break it down for me. Here you are. They took care of your college for you. 
When you started working, they never asked you to pay rent. Your mom is still doing your laundry. Malayali mothers, you got to stop that, by the way. I'm not even, you see, I'm not laughing. Because it's not funny to me. Oh, yeah. I was in a pastor's house. Not far from here. And a 30-year-old boy brought laundry to the house for his mom to do laundry for him. Couldn't even prepare his own meal, sat on the table. Mom, I'm hungry. Oh, well, that's a revelation. That place over there is called the kitchen. Okay, that big old cupboard-looking thing is called the refrigerator. What am I talking about? I, I, I said to this kid, I said, don't you dare complain to me about being a Malayali kid because you could not be allowed to date when you wanted to date and they didn't allow you to go where you wanted to go. They've been taking care of everything because I can, tell, I can take you into other cultures where a friend of mine, his sons, as soon as they were out of school, if they wanted to stay home, they had to pay, pay room and board. And they couldn't stay there as long as they wanted to gather their down payment for their home. They had to pay for everything. And you're complaining? Look at me straight. Some of you are like, I want you to, you know, tell, tell, our tell them what? Tell them what? You are one of the most protected, one of the most provided for groups of young people I know. You little Malayal kids, I need you to look at me. One of the most provided for. Well, you know, they don't allow me to do this. and You know, they don't allow me to hang out like the other kids. You are preserved. It's called protection. <laughs> Why? Because I know kids coming from the drug culture that cannot drop putting needles in their own arms. And you were spared from that. Because you were sheltered, of course. But it was for your protection. Why? Now you can step into... No, here's what I find out. So as he was complaining, now the Lord has enabled him to get married. He's a wonderful young, young guy. I love his family. The Lord has blessed him. He's doing well. Him and his kid. And I'm looking at the result of this and I say, everything you paid in strictness is paying off now. What were you complaining about? Ah, you know, they, they, they what? Smile at me. Some of you come here, you've been in the Middle East. You lived in Saudi, you worked in Saudi. Where you didn't have the freedom to just drive into any place and have church. Now you have the freedom to drive in here at any time you have church and you want to look at the church and, oh, you know, why are the lights? Lights what? I'm from Africa. Do you know how we used to praise God with a paraffin lamp? Do you know how dark it was in our meetings? It was dark. <laughs> and I'm blacker than you. So I had to smile when I preached so they could know where the preacher was. Ah, light, light what? You actually have lights. And you're complaining. I need to talk to you. Why? Because let me tell you this. What's going to unlock the presence of God in this church is the spirit of gratitude. And there's way too many. How do I? Do you know that nobody has told me about any of, any of this thing? I sense it in my spirit. I can sense when people are unhappy about stupid things. I can tell in my spirit. Because when I'm on my face before the Lord and saying, Father, speak to me. He's talking to me about trivial stuff. I'm looking for deep revelation. And he's telling, telling them to stop complaining. Why? When you look at Psalm 78, the right of Psalm 78, it could have been the sons of Asaph. Can I read that to you? Psalm 78 is an indictment against complainers. Because here's what happened. The children of Israel were saved by the mighty hand of God. Are you guys doing okay? Am I speaking too strong for a Sunday morning? You all can take it, right? Yes, Psalm said it is called the contemplation of Asaph. Asaph was one of the people that was a member. Sometimes you know, he was responsible for several psalms. 
And the children of Asaph, even in the time of David, whenever you would write a psalm, you would give it to the children of Asaph to put a, a, a song or a melody to, to, to that. But one of these contemplating he wrote a song. He said, give ear, all my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I'll utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and have known, and our fathers have told to us. We will not hide them from their children. Telling the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he has done. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children. So what is he saying? We are mandated to tell the succeeding generation the thing that God has done for us. So that our kids are not caught complaining. Because in order for you to complain, one of the things you must do is you must first forget what God has done. You cannot complain and remember the things that God has done. You have to first forget. So now Asaph is now laying into Israel. Look at what he says. He says this from, from, from verse 9. The children of Ephraim, being armed and carrying bows, turned back in the day of battle. They did not keep the covenant of God. They refused to walk in the law. Why? Because they forgot his works and his wonders that he had shown them. Marvelous things that he did in the sight of their fathers in the land of Egypt, in the field of Zoan. He divided the sea and caused them to pass through. And he made the water stand up like a heap. In the daytime, he also led them with a cloud and at night with a light of fire. And he split rocks in the wilderness and gave them drink and abundance like, like the depths. And he also brought them streams out of a rock and caused water to run like rivers. But they sinned even more by rebelling against the Most High. In the wilderness and they tested God in their heart by asking for food of their fancy. Yes, they spoke against God when they said, can God prepare a table in the wilderness? Asaph is saying this, that the sin of the ch children of Israel was not the sin of unfaithfulness with this, that, and the other. Their main sin was that they forgot what God had done and they had the nerve to sit and complain about their present situation as if there were people for whom God had done nothing at all. He said they forgot that the Lord had split the rocks and gave them water. They forgot that the Lord had split the sea and let them march on dry land. They forgot that by the power of his mighty hand, he would not even let them go without leadership in the night because he sent a pillar of fire. He would not let them be overwhelmed by the heat of the desert because he led them with a pillar of cloud by day. And when they were hungry, he fed them. Yet they entertained this thought in their hearts. They tested the God of Israel by asking can God prepare a table in the wilderness? That is a statement of people that have forgotten. If you were to ask me, what is the sin that you might find in the present day, Maliali Pentecostal Movement, whether you're AG or Church of God or IPC, doesn't matter. Same. Same WhatsApp group. You say, what is that sin? It's because you're third generation Christians. You've forgotten what it was when your forefathers served other gods. So sometimes you don't esteem the glory of God that he brought you into the faith in a land that is littered with millions of idols. He raised you up as a people that bear his name in a land with more than 300 million gods and idols. He favored you that are in the south in Kerala by allowing you to build churches in a land that is littered with false religion. 
in a land where people worship cows, he enabled you to know the name of the living God. So that's when you forget that, guess what? You begin to complain about little things. You complain about paints. You complain about pews. You complain about songs. Is it English or Malayalam? It doesn't matter. It's not for you. It's for him. I'm not singing for you. Whether it's Jehovah here at Davam Devam or whether it's, you know, um, Lord, I give you my heart. It's not for you. It's for him. So stop complaining about things that don't matter. Why? He has done too much for you. Let me tell you what shall be the indictment against you when you stand before God. Let me tell you my history. I come from darkness. You understand? I come from utter darkness. I have no business preaching to you. You should be preaching to me. My grandfather, my upper child, my father's father, was believed to have murdered his own brother. Was wildly abusive to his own family, including to my father. Threw my dad out of the home when my dad was 14, 15 years old. My dad became homeless as a result of that. On, the, on, on February 16, 1978, the village that my grandmother, my mother's mother, who was the only person in our family that knew God, she was at home cooking for her son, my uncle David, when soldiers of the Rhodesian front attacked that village and they threw a grenade in her hut. When that grenade detonated, it killed her granddaughter who was in her arms. Her son, who she was cooking for, my uncle David, when he saw the grenade fall in the hut, he tried to run out. Soldiers were waiting for him outside. They put a bullet through his chest and that's how my uncle David died. They wasted nine other lives in there. My grandmother left that hut broken but still alive. And the soldiers followed her until she came close to my grandfather's grave. Then they opened fire on her from close range and cut her into several pieces before she died. Three days later, my mother buried her own mother in more than three pieces, more than two pieces. She was cut asunder. And we found out that it was my grandfather on my father's side that called the hit on my grandmother. Because when my uncle went there, they called the Rhodesian front and they said, well, you know what? We saw a young man of military age enter into the village. He could be a terrorist. And that's how my grandmother died. On my father's side, we were steeped in the occult because people believed in the local religion, which is ancestral worship. My young brother, Lloyd, had a heart attack with me on the phone, which he survived four days ago. I was on the phone with him as he was gasping for air. I thought I was losing him. Praying out loud in the name of Jesus, devil, you take your hands off my little bro. He called me as soon as he felt a pain in his heart. And I stayed with him until the, he's in England, he's far away from me. He stayed on the phone with me until the ambulance arrived. When, when Lloyd was two years old, they, I attended a ceremony they forced us to attend when they dedicated Lloyd to be the medium by which the spirit of my grandfather, my father's father, the one who I just told you about, was to manifest in Lloyd's life. Lloyd has been sickly ever since. So, you wonder why I cannot stand complaints about silly things. I come from darkness. I shouldn't be here. I should have been dead. My whole family should have been dead. My dad should have been in hell right now. My father is in heaven because I had the opportunity of leading my own father to Christ and the opportunity of baptizing my own father. And it was after years and years of praying for him to get saved. And you wonder why I cannot stand complaints about little things. People that don't get along over silly things. Well, you say this and I say this and I'm not going to talk to you anymore. You're not going to talk to me anymore. We've broken fellowship over silly things. After everything God has done for you, 
Huh? You are worshipping with your own children in the house of God. What have we got to complain about? We should be the most grateful. You know, the Lord was invited to the house of Simon. And when he went to the house of Simon, Simon invited all his buddies, all his tax collectors were there. And they were sitting, relaxed. They've got Jesus, the mystery of heaven, the wisdom of God, the one in whom the Godhead is, comes into body form. Jesus, the author of all creation, the word that came out of the mouth of the Father when he said, let there be light. The very word that created this world was in Simon's house. And you know what Simon did? He acted like it was normal that Jesus was in his home. It's chilling. And this woman who was known in the society to be a woman that made her money by selling her body came into that house carrying a box of expensive ointment. And they watched this girl and they probably whispered, yeah, you know, you know, yeah, you know her reputation, right? Yeah, evil, evil, my brother, evil. You know, she came to Jesus and she took that box. It was worth one year's wage and she broke it on him. Covered him with expensive fragrance. And she began to cry. <laughs> and when she cried, she cried over his feet and began to wash his feet with her tears, drying his feet with her hair. And everybody in that room, because they, were, they thought that salvation was owed to them because they were such special people. They all looked at her and mocked. In the whole time they were doing that, heaven was receiving her worship. Because you see, there was a story to her gratefulness. Her gratitude was she was aware of who she was until she met Christ. She was aware of what Christ had done for her. Every demon he had cast out of her. She was aware she had no business being amongst those that were saved because she should have been damned to hell. But she knew that the Lord had loved on her so she loved him aggressively. And when this, here's what Simon said to himself. Ah, if Jesus knew the kind of woman that was touching him, if he was such a holy man, he would know that that's a sinner that is touching him. When Jesus knew what they were saying, he looked at his host and says, can I ask you a question? He says, yeah. He says, there were two people. One was forgiven $50. Another was, was forgiven $500,000, you know, dollars. Who do you think would love the one who forgave them the most? And he says, the one who was forgiven the most. He says, let me tell you about this girl. This girl was destined to hell. She lived selling her body. And I, and I gave her forgiveness of sin. And you, you think you're special. That's why I came into your house and you gave me no water to wash my feet. I was walking in the dust of the city. My feet are dirty. You did nothing for my feet. She's washing them with her tears. He says, you did not give me oil to anoint myself because I'm a little ashy today. I've been hanging around black people. So you gave, you gave me no oil. To, to, she has poured out the most expensive ointment for me. Says when I when I came into your house, you fist bumped me. You didn't even embrace me. She's been kissing my feet as as long as I've been in this house. Let me tell you the secret of this girl is her gratitude. She knows what she has been forgiven. That's why she loves much. She's the most grateful person in this room right now. That's why her worship is as great as it is. And here's what the Lord Jesus Christ says. Wherever this gospel shall be preached, they shall tell the story of this woman and what she has done for me. Because little did she know she was preparing my body for burial. What does that mean? She was preparing me for the ultimate fight I'm going to fight, which is the fight that of death that will bring salvation to all mankind. What am I talking about? The power of gratitude. What is the power of gratitude? Stop complaining about what you don't have. The Lord has done too much for you. 
He's brought you into a strange land and has blessed you in a strange land. In a strange way, some people look at you and they don't like, ah, it's those Indians or it's those brown people. Well, it's all of them and this. They don't like you, but God says, I'm going to send you there and I'll bless you there. I will bless you there. In a strange land. And I'll send your kids into hostile territory in upstate New York and you'll shine a torch for the gospel there. Breathe. We've got every reason to be thankful. Every reason to be thankful. What is the secret into the presence of God? Enter his gates with thanksgiving in your heart. If I was to ask you right now, for the next, however long, let's just thank the Lord. Do you know what would happen, Pastor uh, Justin? After five minutes, everybody will be quiet. Why? Because we have forgotten the bunch of things that God has done. But what am I asking you to do? I'm asking for you to invite God's presence again. What is the secret of inviting his presence? It's the spirit of gratitude. In the book of Luke, I think it's what, chapter 17, where the Bible t- tells us a story, or is it chapter 11? One of those. The Bible tells us a story that Jesus was traveling in the region between Samaria and Galilee. Let me tell you about that region. It was a region be- between Samaria and Galilee. A good Jew was not allowed to travel into Samar- Samaritan territory because it was considered to be a contaminated area. That's why... Ten lepers were found in that place. Do you know why those ten lepers were there? Because they were in a place where everybody avoided. It was a place where good Jews did not travel. So they had banished these lepers into that territory. And when these lepers saw Jesus, they did not feel good enough to come close to him. So they cried out from a distance, Lord, if you are willing, you can make us clean. And Jesus heard their cry and says, go and show yourself to the priests. And as they turned to obey, to ob- the Bible says what? They were healed of their leprosy. When they were healed of their te- leprosy, all ten went, the priest says, yes, there is no, no sickness left in you. Nine of them went to their homes. Amen. I was about to say they were Malayali. T- I take it back. Nine of them just went to their homes. But one of them came back. And he came back looking for Jesus. Have you seen where the master is? Where is the Lord? He says, oh, why? Why? I, I need to talk to him. Found where Jesus was and says, master, thank you. Thank you. For what? You healed me. I know. But when they ten of you, yes, where the other nine? They went home. Where are you from? I'm a Samaritan. Oh. So you, a Samaritan, Amongst the people that are considered to be cursed. You came back to thank me. Yes, master. He says, go your way. Then he used these words. Your faith has made you sodezo. That term sodezo does not mean healed. That term sodezo means he has made you whole. Let me tell you the secret. All of them got healed. How many of you know about leprosy? We still have leprosy colonies in my country. I know there's some still leper colonies in India. What does leprosy do? It affects the outer extremities by killing um, the nerves in the outer parts. So your outer extremities can get injured and you won't feel it. So people that are lepers, they lose limbs, nose, mouth, ears, fingers. So these lepers got healed, but they were not made whole. Why? The leprosy was removed, but they still had missing fingers. The one who came back to thank the Lord, what did the Lord say to him? He told him one more statement. Go your way, he says what? Your faith has made you whole. What does that mean? Whatever was missing must have grown out. Why? The difference was that each one got healed because they knew how to ask for healing. But one got made whole because he knew how to be thankful for it. 
the key is gratitude. I'm almost done. The key is gratitude. Sometimes you just need to stop asking, asking, Lord, give me, give me, Lord, I need, Lord, give me, Lord, I need. The Bible does not say enter his gates with your list of complaints. He says enter his gates with what? With thanksgiving in your heart. You know, the secret to David, because he's my other hero, David was special. It's a story that is told, I think it's in 1 Samuel, is it? I think it's in chapter, uh, I think it's chapter 21. Let me tell you the story. In 1 Samuel chapter 21, David was in and amongst the Philistines. And when he was walking around them, he saw a man by the name of Doeg, who was considered an Edomite. And David knew that this man worked for Saul's army. And David says, oh man, Doeg saw me. That means what? He was going to bring Saul after me. So what David wanted to do was to escape from this place of the Philistines in Nob, where he was. Then you know what David did? David pretended like he had had a mental breakdown. He allowed the snot and the spit to run down his beard and he acted like he had lost his mind. And so the king of the Philistines said what? Ah, this David, look at him, he's too broken. There's no way he's a threat to us. Let him go. So David escaped because when he inquired of the Lord, he knew if Saul had come after him, the Philistines were going to give him up to Saul. So when David escaped with barely his skin, he managed to escape. Most of us would have complained about, yeah, I'm trying to serve the Lord. Why do I have to go through all this stuff? You know, I'm trying to live. I'm the only one in my family living for God, so why am I suffering? But David did not respond that way. David responded by writing Psalm 34. If you guys can pull out Psalm 34 for us, please, in, on, on the screen. I'd appreciate that. He wrote one of the most beautiful Psalms because he faked madness to escape the Philistines who were going to give him up to Saul. And he says, my soul makes its boast in the Lord. Do you know what the word hallelujah means? Well, a lot of us, you, know, you ask me this, Al. That word hallelujah does not mean praise the Lord only. It means boast in God. So it's not a term for praise. It's a term for a call to praise. Because the word halal means to boast in God. That word boast means to... to to boast in what? To brag on God. So whenever we're singing hallelujah, here's what we're saying. Boast in the Lord. Boast in the Lord. And you, from the Indians, you like to boast in the Lord. Because you like that. Hallelujah. That's the Indian version. You only find it for, you know, boast in the Lord. Okay, you can sing that. But can you stop singing it and actually do some boasting? Like what? Tell us what God has done. So David says what? My soul makes boast. Meaning, my soul will halal. Ooyah. You are my mighty champion. You gave me victory over my enemies. You strengthen my hands for war. Blessed be the Lord my rock that trains my fingers for war and my hands to do battle. By my God I can run through a troop. What is that? It's a state of hallelujah. What are you doing? You're boasting in what God can do through you. By my God I can run through a troop. By my God I can leap over a wall. By my God I can bend a bow of bronze. 
What are you doing? You're boasting in what the Lord has done. Why? You're not complaining about what your enemy is doing. You don't have time to complain. And then Saul, and then the Philistines, and then they were going to give me up, and I can't believe how bad it is. Pastor, you don't even know, because you know, I don't know, I don't need to know. But here's what I want to know. What can you boast in? By my God, I escaped my enemy. My soul will make its boast in the Lord. And let us exalt his name together. Let's go to from verse 1, all the way from verse 1. Take me from verse 1. It says what? I'll bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be on my mouth. He says what? He says, um, uh, my soul makes his boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear it and be glad. What is David doing? He's announcing it to people. If he was, have you been to testimony service? In a good Indian church, what is it? Well, you know, please, uh, you know, God has been blessing my family and then, and then the devil is attacking us and please, before you, I need you to pray for me, pray for my children because my children are not acting. Oh, that, that's not testimony. Amen. That's complaining service. What is te- testimony service? <laughs> testimony service is when you say, the Lord made a way for me and my kids. We were running out of, we didn't know if we were going to be able to make our mortgage and the hand of God was sin. I woke up one morning, my baby was not feeling well and by the end of the day, the Lord's hand had been upon my little one in that we are making a boast in the Lord, make a boast in the Lord. He says what? My soul shall make his boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. For I sought the Lord and he heard me and he delivered me out of all of my fears. And then he begins to the righteous cry out, but the Lord hears them and he delivers them out of all that. What are you talking about, sir? You had to fake madness to escape. What? You've got every reason to bellyache and complain. Well, you know, brother, I try to live for God. I'm the only one in my family that goes to fast and pray. I'm the only one that goes to all-night prayer meeting. And then and, and everyone attacks me, and, and then the devil has been, devil what? <laughs> Stop complaining. What's the matter with you? Why are you always aware of what the devil is doing, that you've got no time to be aware of what God is doing? I had people that I prayed for that were barren. Eight years, nine years, ten years. No child. I was out on the West Coast, staying in the home of a wonderful Malayan couple. They were doing very well. The brother was driving a late model, you know, Lexus, back when, you know, they were an in thing. And, 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 and then and I stayed in their home in an upscale neighborhood in Portland. It was such a huge house, and I looked around, but I thought, hmm, it's just my brother and his wife. Maybe they're waiting. Because they had treated me so well. That morning I said, Lord, what can I pray for them? What can I ask you for them? And I felt the Lord saying, ask them about a child. I was a little worried. You know, sometimes there's a sensitive topics. So when I was having breakfast, I just said, "Um, hey, so are you guys waiting to have a child? You know, are you taking your time? And they said, no, Pastor Felix, you know, he says, "Um, when we just got married, we found out that my wife was pregnant and we panicked because we had nothing. We had no money. So when we panicked, she miscarried the child and we always thought that it was because we panicked when we heard she was pregnant. And ever since it's been eight years we've been trying to have a child and we've been unable to. So they were living under condemnation that because they were nervous about the first one and they lost that child that somehow they were at fault for having lost a child. I said, God is not putting that fault on you. God can restore that. I said, can I pray for you? I prayed in that morning I felt the presence of the Lord. And I knew the witness in my heart that God was going to bless them with a child. I said, you know what? According to the cycle of life, the Lord is going to bless you with a child. I know that in my heart and I'm okay with prophesying that. I left them and I came back to Boston. A year goes by. I don't hear anything from them. So when I pray for people and you don't get back to me, I keep on pestering the Lord. So one morning I'm, I'm, I'm complaining to the Lord. Lord, yeah. Listen, man, I'm working for you. 
So when I go out on a limb, you got to back me up. If I pray for people and I tell them God is going to do this, you're not just making me look bad. You're making yourself look bad. Because I wasn't representing me. I was representing, I'm complaining. And I just felt the Lord saying, shut up. Get off your knees. So I stopped. And he says, ask. I had forgotten that brother and sister, who they were, where they lived. But we had a friend in common. So I got off hold of my friend who's out there in the Seattle, in the Oregon area. His name is Levin. So I said, Levin, man, hey, can you tell me about so and so and so and so? Because I was praying about their child and the Lord told me to get on my knees and to shut up. You know, were they ever blessed with their child? The next thing I get a picture of a little kid that looks like he's ready to go to college. He says, yeah, the Lord blessed them with a child. And they said, how come they never came and called me and say, Felix, God answered your prayer. I've been here complaining to God about a miracle that this young couple received and it never crossed their mind to pick up the phone. I don't need you to thank me. I need you to thank the Lord with me because I partnered with you to pray. I was believing, I've been on my knees complaining to God that he had not given you a child and your child looks like they're ready for the first grade. If that was the one time that that had happened, I would not even have mentioned it. It's happened over five, six times. Prayed for another couple, and here's what the Lord prophesied. Not one, but as many as you want. We're in New York. In fact, it was a bunch of New Yorkers, but went to Pennsylvania for a retreat. And early in the morning, a pastor was a very good friend of mine. Him and his kids, I absolutely love him. You know, they came up to me and said, Pastor, please. The church said, please pray for these two. They've been believing God for a child, and the child has not been coming. So I said, okay, fine, I'll pray. And as soon as I started praying, everybody started crying. <laughs> and the Lord says, tell them to shut up. Why? Why are you crying? Why? Faith. Let me tell you the secret of faith in the presence of God. When faith really hits, you rejoice. Why? Because you consider it done. <laughs> Dave, I'm, Dave, I'm what? Stop crying. There's a time for crying, but there's a time to rejoice. Why? You rejoice when you believe God has already done it. Because the presence of God is integrity. If God says he's going to do it, he'll take care of it. So I, I, I remember just saying to the church, please can you stop crying? Because their, their hands were lifted up. <laughs> and then, Simple little prayer. God bless them with a the child. Amen? Amen. It's done. Let's move on. Can we just rejoice before the Lord? We rejoice before the Lord. Two years later, I, I, those ones were wonderful. At least they told me. Amen. Pastor Felix, we have a child. And then shortly after that, Pastor Felix, we have another child. I'm like, David, in the Amen. To God be praised. And then I went to the church retreat, and I didn't see them there. I was like, so, where is so-and-so? Ah, you know, Pastor, we couldn't make it to the retreat this year because you know what? You know the kids? I said, the kids what? Well, you know, because the kids, the kids what? I said, I don't care if they sleep under the seat in the church. Why would the Lord bless you with something and then what you do is you turn away from that blessing and you use that blessing to avoid the presence of God? Bring them to church. Why? It's a sign of gratitude. Why? I remember what it was when we didn't have them. So, of course, you know, it's tiring to have kids. You bring them and you put them under that seat. You raise them in the house of God. It's your ultimate sign of gratitude. Remember when you didn't have them. We cried to God and he blessed you with them. Why are you using them as an excuse to leave church now? Well, I can't come to church this day because the kids. Oh. You mean those miracle kids we prayed for? Okay. That is very interesting to me. Are you okay? Don't get offended, okay? 
It wouldn't work because I really don't care because I just want to tell you the truth anyway. What am I talking about? The spirit of gratitude is a rare gift in the body of Christ. Those that have learned how to plug it into it are never lacking the presence of God because God is attracted to grateful people. That's why the Lord would come to the house of David over and over again because David was always thankful for something. You know, one time in Psalm 63, when you read Psalm 63, it's an interesting psalm. In a dry and weary land where there's no water, my soul is thirsty for you. So you know, okay, the man is probably thirsty. He probably doesn't have any water to drink, but he's inspired to write a psalm. In a dry and weary land where there's no water, my soul is thirsty for you. I have seen you in the sanctuary. I would love to see you in the sanctuary to behold your power and glory. For your loving kindness is better than life. So my lips shall praise thee. Thus will I bless thee while I live. And then toward the last verse of Psalm 63, he makes mention of the Lord showing favor to the king. That means that the king, it was David when he was already king. So the question you can ask is, what is the king doing in the wilderness thirsty? The only thing that scholars can conclude was that this is the psalm that probably David wrote after his son Absalom threw him out of the kingdom and he was forced to go into the wilderness when he was king, embarrassed before all of Israel because his own son had thrown him off the throne. What father would have not complained? You would have sat down and said, I can't believe it. You raise these kids, my brother. You give them everything. They turn on you. You know, my son Absalom, is, you know, he turned on me. Father, I served you. Lord, I, I, I preserved all of Israel. Why would my own son, my own son do this to me? David never say that. What does he do? In a dry and weary land where there's no water. He's sitting there, lips all parched, all thirsty, dehydrated. In a dry, weary land where there's no water, my soul is thirsty for you. I want to see you in the sanctuary to behold your power and glory for your loving kindness is better than life. Therefore, my lips shall praise thee. That's will I bless thee while I live. I have something to be thankful for. I'm embarrassed that my son threw me out, but I'm also grateful that the Lord has kept me safe. I'm also grateful that the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. One day he found himself walking in the valley of the shadow of death. Do you know what the valley of the shadow of death is? Have you ever been surrounded by death so much you can almost smell it? So David was going through a horrible time, but what, is, what does he say? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. One day David was surrounded by his enemies and he didn't complain, Lord, why are they coming after me? I'm just trying to serve you. How can they do this to me? No, he says, you lay a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of my God forever. What is the key of David? The Lord says in the end times, I'll give you the key of David. Can I tell you what the key of David is? It's gratitude. It's a thankful heart. Do you have anything else to say to us today? No, I think I'm done. What was I talking about? The key to worship is gratefulness. When you start being grateful to the Lord, he gives you the language of praise. The language of praise is based on the eyes that are aware of everything that God is doing. You will never be lacking in God's presence if you learn to have a grateful heart. To have a grateful heart, it means you have to finally bury the complainer in you. Because the complainer in you is always aware of what is lacking. Lord, why are you taking so long? Because he's got a better plan? 
Lord, when? When you're ready. Lord, why? Because I can. Lord, how? None of your business. Trust. The American system works on credit. I don't know if it's the same in India. In Zimbabwe, they don't know what credit is. Amen. If you want to borrow something, they just say, do you have something of equal value? They go straight for collateral. Do you have something of equal value? You know, I, I want to buy a car. Do you have two other cars that worth the one you want to buy? Yeah, then we'll give you. Why? Because we'll attach your collateral. If you don't pay us, we'll take everything you've got. In America, it works on a, on a credit system, which is what? They keep the record of how you pay what you borrow. And they give you a credit rating. So the next time you go and say, I would like that Lexus. They say, eh, what did you do with the Ford Focus when you bought it? Why? We want to see your track record. Are you trustworthy? Heaven works on a credit system as well. The reason why the Bible records all the miracles that God performed is that because that's his credit rating, his credit record. So maybe you feel, I've, you've never saved me from the Red Sea. He says, but I kept the record of when I did it to the children of Israel. Why? Because I need you to know that my credit rating is strong. I can be trusted. Why? I've already done it for others and I'm no respect of persons. You can take it to town that I'll do it for you. Why do we study scripture? So that our confidence in God is multiplied. How? Because we are aware that his credit is good. What was Asaph writing? And I'm about to end in Psalm 78. Israel forgot God's credit rating because the immediacy of their current situation made them forget that God had already supplied in the past. And when they doubted God's credit, they began to question his ability to supply and they offended the heart of God. Somebody say gratitude. Somebody say thankfulness. For you, Zion, the Lord blessed you with a, with a place you never bought. It was given to you. Smack in the middle of a neighborhood. Several acres of it. Don't let this place deteriorate under your watch. Let it become better than it ever was. Because you are grateful that the Lord of heaven opened his hand to people and said, I don't need a dime from you. I'll just give it to you because I like you. You have every reason to be grateful. You look after this property and you make it the best that it can be. For some of you that have come in, you pour your money in to be a blessing on this property. Why? Because this property was what God opened his hand to give you. Bless God because he's blessed you. And for you parents, when you do something big for the kingdom of God, let your children see it. Let them see what you give toward the house of God. Why? So that when they walk in blessing, they'll know where the blessing is coming from. Because sometimes there's a generation rising up in the Malays right now that think that they don't have to give because they say, oh, my parents only used to give a dollar in the offering. Well, the dollar is what they gave in the offering, but the check is what they gave that nobody saw. Where, where do you think the lights were coming from? From magic? No. They were taking care of everything. But because the parents did not show the kids what they were doing, there's an entire generation of young Malayalis that are married, they got kids, and they don't know how to give to the Lord because they thought they always gave a dollar in the offering, not knowing that their mom and dad were paying big checks behind closed doors. So what do I say? Let your children see your record of generosity. Why? Because when they get blessed, they will know where it came from. You are giving them a reason to be grateful to God. When God has done something for you as a family, for some of you, you need to tell your story to your children. You need to tell them, I need to tell you where I was. You know, when I was in college back in India, and I was so depressed, I almost took my own life because I didn't think that I would have passed the exam. 
But God somehow preserved me. And today look at how blessed we are. It was not always like this. The Lord has been mighty good to us. What, what are you doing when you tell your history to your children? You are arming them with things for which they can be grateful and thankful toward the Lord. And how, what happens as a result? They attract the presence of God. Why? Because God is attracted to people that are thankful. Can we all stand please? Do you have any reason to be grateful today? Talk to me. Yes or no? I know some of you are saying, Felix, I'm having a particularly hard time. I'm okay with you having a hard time. Why? Because the same God that has blessed you before will bless you again. Amen. He's still the same God. He hasn't changed. Some of you may say, Felix, we're going through a particularly difficult time right now. I understand. I'm not trying to belittle what you're going through. But I know that the same God that has come through for you many times before will come through for you again. Amen. He knows how to take care of you, Preeti. He knows how to meet your needs. Somebody say gratitude. gratitude. Come and talk to me. Say gratitude. gratitude. Say thankfulness. Say I'll enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I'll enter his courts with praise. Praise means what? You lift up your hands before the Lord. You lift up a shout before the Lord. You dance before the Lord. You play your musical instruments before the Lord. What is that? You're praising him. Why? Because he's worthy of it all. He's been mighty good to us. And all the saints and angels, you know that song? You're worthy of it all. You're worthy of it all. You're worthy of it all. For from you are all things, and to you are all things, and you deserve the glory. Let's sing that again together. You're worthy of it. Because you are worthy of it all. You're worthy of it all. For from you are all things, and to you are all things. Oh, you deserve the glory. Let's sing that with me one more time. Lord, and you are worthy of it all. Come on, lift up your voice, lift up your hands before him. Let's pray. Lord, you are worthy of it all. Thank you, Jesus. For from you are all things, and to you are all things. Lord, you deserve the glory. Hallelujah. There's a song in Malayalam that tells about how the Lord has taken us this far. In and and they yeah 
most powerful things is when we are just grateful that he has brought us this far. So what? We don't have everything that we want. Maybe we don't have everything that we think we should have. But he's been faithful thus far. And we are grateful. And we declare, Lord, you are more than enough for us. And we thank you for this part of the journey. We thank you for bringing us thus far. You have been very good to us. Come on, let's put our hands together. Let's just thank the Lord. Oh, we thank you, Master. We thank you, Lord. We glorify your holy name. 